0: Hosea chapter 3 is where we'll be tonight as we continue working our way through this Old Testament prophet. The 8th century, Hosea prophesying to the northern kingdom, to Israel. Same time that Isaiah, with whom more people are probably familiar than Hosea, is prophesying to the southern kingdom. Let's read these five little verses. God's inerrant word. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a let ditch of barley And I said to her, "'You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king.'" And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word for his people here tonight. Father, thank you so much for your word. and We ask now that you bless it to the good of our souls. That we might leave this place tonight holier and better than we came. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it was easy for Hosea to love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress? Any takers? If you were to say yes, of course you'd be wrong. Hosea was a holy man, but Gomer was not a holy woman. Let me ask you another question. Do you think it was easy for Hosea to love Gomer even as the Lord loves the children of Israel? That was the command. Love her as I love Israel. Now before you answer that, gentlemen particularly, let me remind you that we are commanded to love our wives. Holy women. Not prostitutes. But holy women godly women we're called to love them as christ loved his church are you starting to see that the message is the same old testament new testament hope so you should if you haven't before hopefully you do now well again if you were to say well well, sure that would be easy well you're wrong again i mean You godly men sitting here tonight who have godly wives know that even godly wives are not always easy to love as Christ loved the church. In fact, it's impossible for us to love our wives that way. How much did he love the church? He gave himself for her, even unto death on a cross. So that's what we aspire to. That's what we're commanded to pursue as godly husbands is a sacrificial life. For our wives, godly wives. And poor Hosea here is given the the onerous task of loving a whore, a prostitute. Someone he has supported, he's cared for, he's had at least one child with, we know. And she's gone out prostituting again and had other children and she's been living with men and he's been taking care of her and all of her earthly needs. We saw that last week. Now the Lord comes back if it were, if were not hard enough on the front end for him to say I, I'm, I'm going to send you and you're going to marry a woman who's a, who's a woman of whoredom and she has children of whoredom. And now he's telling him to go do it again after she's shamed you and embarrassed you and on and on. And so. Hosea. Does something important for us to see here is that God doesn't ask him and he doesn't feel or feel it out with him and say, you know, what would you think, Hosea, about let's try this again. I know you probably have some reservations. You want to talk about this? That's not the way the Lord went about this. He just comes with a hard fast. Thou shalt do this. See, I think we read over passages like this way too quickly and superficially and we don't think about what that must have been like for Hosea. But Hosea, remember, has another issue here. Outside of his emotions, his affections, uh, he knows this is about God. And this is about God and God's people. And that doesn't make this any easier. Do you think it would? I don't think it would. We know this from various passages in the Bible, but it comes home real real tight And real pointed in James chapter 3, when teachers of the church are told that God holds them responsible above all others. And Hosea knows he's being held responsible as the prophet of the Lord above all others. So he's commanded to do this but this ultimately as I said he knows it and we've seen it already and it's even it's even clear in this passage go again love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel this is why you're doing this and then he closes with the four in other words the reason all of this We'll get to all of this, but the for, the because is the children of Israel should dwell many days without king or prince. So Hosea knows on the front end, this is about Israel. This is about God. And I'm playing God's part here in this picture, in this, in this, in this, little, this little play. And I don't have a choice in this. He was bound to do it. You say, well, he didn't have to do it. No, you're right. Hosea didn't have to do it. He could have disobeyed God and died. But here's the thing, y'all. If you'll look in the outline there, the thesis, the eternal covenants working out in redemptive history. this 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 is primarily, first and foremost, this is about God having bound himself to do this. To love an unlovable people. Now, what's the answer to the question? Was was Hosea necessarily bound to do this? No. He could have sinned against God. But since he's a picture of God, is God necessarily bound to do this? And the answer is yes. God cannot sin. And he had bound himself from eternity past to love a wicked people, Israel, and us, his church, and he's bound himself to do it. He will do it. That's that whole steadfast love thing that we love to talk about. Okay, the binding of God in the command to Hosea. That's the first point. God commands Hosea to do this difficult thing, to take back this woman who is notorious for her sexual dalliances. She's had children by men who are not her husband And let me ask you a question. Sometimes it's good for us to pause. Do we, do, we, do we know how heinous that is? You lost me, Pastor. What? That she had had children with men who were not her husbands. Do we know how terrible that is? Do we know that that's a stench in the holy nostrils of a thrice holy God? We used to know that. Some of you are old enough to remember when culture thought it was heinous. I remember the first time I heard the term bastard. And I had to ask, what does that mean? And my mama did what she always did, go look it up in the dictionary. Now, she didn't do that just to avoid answering. She knew the answer. She was a smart woman. She did it to teach me how to look up words in the big old dictionary that we had on the big old table. So I would remember putting my eyes on the print on the page, helped me remember. Some of you remember those days, not too long ago, when pregnancies and births out of wedlock were considered shameful. They weren't considered occasions for celebration. The children of such unions, unlawful unions, were, as I said, called bastards. This is what the Oxford English Dictionary, that's the quintessential, that's the daddy of them all, okay? The word carries the stigma of something that nearly resembles another species, so when we used to recognize illegitimate unions and the product of those illegitimate unions and we had a name for that illegitimate product we were saying that's hardly even human because it was it was it was conceived and it was birthed out of something that was ungodly a man and a woman who were not married you say okay why did you bring that up Well, because that's what Gomer's been doing. And Hosea's told to love her. Notice, God doesn't command him to go get her and take care of her. You can sleep upstairs, she can sleep downstairs. Go get her and you can take care of her needs, but you you don't, you don't have to love her, Hosea. I don't expect you to love her. Just take care of her. She's a needy soul. Just think of this as a legal contract, which a marriage is, but you know, just, just keep the contract part of it. Don't worry about the affections. I wouldn't expect you to love her, but that's not what he commands him to do, does he? He says, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. It's not commonplace now, even in the church, that we have become so numb to these kind of sins and we ought not to be and we, we ought to hate these kind of sins and we ought to be against these kind of sins and we ought to speak against these kind of sins instead of encouraging these kind of sins. God had to command Hosea to bring this woman back. Notice, he had to command him to bring her back. Hosea has called, you know, come on back. She hasn't. He's provided some, some material goods we saw last week, but she's still out there. He's commanded to go and love her, to love a woman who deserved death. That's what these sins deserved based on the Old Testament law. You do know that. She didn't deserve the handouts. She didn't deserve all the niceties of life. She deserved to die. Now, some have written on this and said she deserved to be stoned. We don't know. In the Old Testament, if you were a virgin and you you had this premarital relationship and conceived children, you were to be stoned. But others it's not as clear what the death penalty was could have been stoning could have been something else no it doesn't matter does it At the end of the day they were to be killed for sinning like this because it was a sin against God we saw that in first Corinthians 10 you've sinned against your own body when you commit sexual sins immoral sins You've sinned against your own body. Your body has been condemned. But he's supposed to love her. Not just tolerate her and provide for her, but to love her. Not just to try to regain his trust for her, but to love her. And he's to love her with an unending love because God says even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. That's an unending love. That's the Hesed. That's the steadfast love of God. God, as Calvin says, bound himself from eternity to love sinners. That's a remarkable thought, isn't it? Here's the thing. If God had not bound himself to love us, he'd have passed on by a long time ago and been looking for something better. Because we're sinners. We're as bad, I've brought this up before, this, this is, this is, this, these are those darts, aren't they? I mean, we're Gomer in this picture, y'all. The Church of the Living God, we're Gomer. We play with the culture. We invite the culture into our midst. We compromise, we tolerate. We enjoy sometimes the things of this world that we ought not to enjoy. We're far too sensual. We're gomer. And if it we're not for the fact that God had bound himself to love us, not just the first time or the 100th time or the 1,000th time, but every time. If he hadn't bound himself to love us, we wouldn't be loved because we don't deserve it. Now he moves on from verse 1 to what he did. Hosea, that is. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and, hom- and, and a Homer and a of barley. So he bought her. Here's the picture. And he doesn't give us the details, but here's a very likely scenario. He had to buy her from the man or the men that she's she's cohabitating with. Most likely, in that time, just like it is today, the prostitute got herself into debt. And so she is basically enslaved to the men. So the men are enjoying her in sinful ways. And it gets to some point, she's obviously a good looking woman. And it gets to some point where the men say, or the man says, you know what? If we put her up for auction, we get a whole lot more. After all, she's getting a little older. I'm sorry to be this crass, but that's what this, pat. this is what the picture is y'all. God put it in here and so basically they put her on the auction block. And the common way of doing that was if it were a man, you wanted the you wanted the potential buyers to see that he's able, he's strong, he can do the work. So you strip him down to where they can see the muscles and his fitness. That he's not all broken down, that he's not been beaten up in the past to the point he's probably bodily starting to break down. And the same with prostitutes. She's put out there in full display, shameful before the world. And poor Hosea. Can you imagine? I mean, gentlemen... Can you imagine? That's your wife. And he goes. And he buys her. At auction. Well, let me just stop there. He buys her out of slavery. He bought one to whom he had bound himself. And that's exactly what we read in 1 Corinthians 6. Isn't it? After. After after Paul talks about how terrible it is to be a prostitute and to, to, for a man to be with a woman, etc., etc. He says, and that's who we were. We were prostitutes. We were wicked people. We were selling ourselves for the things of this world. And he bought us with a price. There's three concepts in the Old Testament for this purchase. One... We get in the word kinsman redeemer. Remember, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. He bought Ruth. Then you had another term that's for the covering of the sins, the, the, the purchasing, the ransoming. And we get those same concepts in the New Testament. And that's what Paul's drawing on when he says that we were bought with a price. We were purchased. We were ransomed. Now remember who Hosea represents here. He stands in the place of God toward Gomer. God toward Israel. Hosea toward Gomer. And he's buying her. He's purchasing her out of her prostitution. He's setting her free. That's what verse two is a picture of is our Lord Jesus Christ, who was exposed to the world, hung on the cross, the auction block as it were, and all that God the Father might buy his people, might deliver his people, might ransom his people from their sin. And the cost was the Son. You say, but wait a minute, that analogy doesn't hold up because it wasn't us on the cross, it was Christ on the cross. Exactly. Christ was our substitute on the cross. Right? Don't we believe that? The substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ? That was us on the cross in Christ Jesus. Thing is, we should have been like the thieves on either side. We should have been up there ourselves. But God in his mercy put Jesus there for us so that we wouldn't have to suffer the penalty of our sin because we couldn't bear the penalty of our sin. That would be eternal damnation. He put Jesus there for us and he bought us. He ransomed us. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save. I came as a ransom for my people. That's verse 2. Having been redeemed, Gomer is now instructed. She is instructed with that, basically what is Paul's last verse, the 20th verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So glorify God. In other words, be distinct. Be separated from God or, or from, from your former lifestyle. You were bought with a price, so glorify God. So verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. That's the third point in the outline. The death of self is the call of God to his people. We're supposed to put away those old things. We're to put away sin and we're to put on Righteousness. Why? Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter six, we're no longer slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness. And that's the call upon Gomer's life here is to put away sin. Don't go about your whoring ways anymore. Don't have illicit relationships with men any longer. God calls all of us to self-denial, to putting off sin, putting on righteousness. The old translations translate Colossians 3 and Paul's instructions that we're supposed to put off these things of the flesh with mortify. We're to mortify those things. In other words, we're to put them to death. But then he goes into that list of the vivify you know but put on these things die to these things live in these things and that's the call here to Israel self denial is the call of God's people we're to die to self and live to God but We're told in verses 4 and 5 that that's that's not all about Hosea and Gomer. It was about Hosea and Gomer. They're the actors that God has put on the stage. And they're real people. But in the end, it's about God, as I said earlier. And it's about Israel, his people. And so he says so in verse 4. 4. Or because, for this reason, the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And then afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. The key there is in verse four, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince and then the latter and to his goodness in the latter days. All of a sudden now, what's going on? The hope is yet to come. And that's what the fourth point is. The meaning of all this is prophetic and distant. You'll notice the transition from verse 3 to 4. It seems rather abrupt, doesn't it? She's told, here's how you're supposed to live, Gomer. And then the children will dwell many days without king or prince. And so this this requires us then to say, okay, let's look back to verse 3. And let's take seriously the last thing that poor Hosea says. So will I also be to you. What has he just commanded, Gomer? You're going to live and you're not going to pursue your old ways and you're not going to have relations with men and neither will I with you, even though I love you with an everlasting love. See, folks, there are consequences to sin and Gomer's facing it. The one thing that she seems to enjoy more in life than anything else. She's going to be deprived of. As God commands her. And Israel. Israel loves the surrounding nations. Israel loved the military fanfare of the surrounding nations. Israel loved all the gods of the surrounding nations. We know that Israel even set up what's called prostitute, cultist, cult prostitutes because the surrounding nations did that. God's saying, Look, I'm going to save you, but I'm going to save you on my terms. There's going to be a time where you don't think that I'm even here. The way I relate to you, you're not going to think I'm here. And that's what's about to happen. Israel is about to be exiled. Remember, first week, we're in the 8th century, exile is coming, 722 B.C. is is right upon them, and they're going to be exiled, and they're never going to come back. It's in the latter days when God's going to restore his people in fullness when all Israel will then be saved, Romans eleven twenty six says. But that's not going to be in their lifetime, and it's not going to be until the latter days in which we live now. That God will, will save his people out of this Jewish ethnicity. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Who's David their king? That's Jesus. David is the one that points us to Jesus. He's the man after God's own heart. He's the king that Jesus is going to come and be the king. Not of a divided kingdom, but of a united kingdom. No longer of Israel and Judah, but now of Jews and Gentiles all together as one people The wall of separation broken down, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following say, And it's Jesus who will rule and reign over his people forever and ever. Amen. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. We live... In those latter days, we're seeing. Remember what Paul says in, in Romans chapter eleven that God has God has 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 done this great thing with Israel, hardened their hearts for a period, like Gomers, until the fullness of the days of the Gentile come in. That is, until all the Gentiles are are redeemed, and then He will save all. All Israel. That's what this passage is about. This is Romans chapter 11. Right here. There are consequences. To Israel's sins. At this time. Exile is coming for them. Where they're going to. Some of them are are going to be. Be. Uh, um, They're going to be saved by God in the exile, but they're not going to return to their land. They'll be provided for, but they're not going to have the same close communion with God that the land represents. But that doesn't leave them hopeless. The latter days. You know, there's a reason Why John, at the end of the book of Revelation, after he sees all of this going on, he's writing sometime AD 95 probably, and he sees all that's going on in the heavenlies and all that's projected that will take place, God saving his people and keeping his church pure through the ages more or less. And then he gets to the end of the book and he says even so come Lord Jesus because he knows it's not going to happen till then everything god has in store for his people is not and we don't like to hear this part but everything he has in store for his people is not now we don't like to hear that do we because we live in a in an age of Gratification, instant gratification. Why do you think Amazon revenues just keep soaring? Because all you gotta do is punch that little button and it's there. Somebody's telling me they ordered something early one morning last week and it came that afternoon. Instant gratification. We love it. We don't like God's time. We like our time. God says, I'll do this in my time. But in the meantime, you live the way I tell you to live. And that's the message He has for us too, isn't it? We're to live holy lives, set apart from the world. And you know what? We may not see a lot of a lot of good come out of that sometimes. We may feel isolated. We may feel like nothing much good is happening, but that's the call of God upon his people's lives, is to put to death the things of this world and live waiting on him and his timing. As I said this morning, James Montgomery Boyce calls this the greatest chapter in the Bible. I think maybe I've given you some reason tonight to see why. It begins with the sovereignty of God, that eternal binding of God upon his own, his own heart to love a people who are not lovable. And then those people who aren't lovable, he bought them out of bondage, out of, out of slavery. And he will do everything necessary to bring them to that last day when he will save his people from their sins completely. This is the this is the this is the gospel. This is the whole Bible message right here in these five short little verses. So do you see it? Do you see the gospel in this book, in this chapter of Hosea? It's clear to those who have eyes to see. Do you rejoice in the work of Christ purchasing your salvation? Just stop and think, I'm Gomer. We're Gomer. And the Lord Jesus Christ died for us and bought us with a price. And then, are you pursuing a life of self-denial? You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore belong to another man. And do you pray as the Israelites would have surely prayed? And as John taught us. In that last few verses of Revelation, as I've already mentioned, even so come Lord Jesus. While we're called to holiness now, folks, our hope is still to come. Don't ever forget that. Don't confuse what you see all around you with our hope. Our hope is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And the good thing is, Paul tells tells us in Romans 13 at the end of the chapter, that salvation is closer now than when we first believed. And if that were true of Paul in, in the first century A.D., how much more true is that of us now living in this late stage of the latter days? Look up. Your redemption draws near. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful little passage and these wonderful truths. It's remarkable how you paint these pictures all through the Old Testament so that your people of all ages could know the truth and so could be saved. And We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.